Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. 2021. It's over. Well, couple more days. It'll be over. Christmas is over. It was yesterday. Doubt, doubtlessly, some of you are probably uh, at this place like, okay, it's time to move on to the next thing. There's a part of us um, as adults that do too much adulting. Would you agree? Yes. A couple of you think so. There's this thing about childlike faith that is extremely important in Christianity. To be childlike is to have the ability, capability, or capacity to see things the way God sees them. To be able to enter God's kingdom, you must do so as one of these little ones. What does it mean to have a childlike faith? What does it mean when Jesus kind of unpacks for us this idea that we should become like little children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's something that really has been a, a point of study for me for many years now, to try to really comprehend what it means to have a childlike faith. I remember, as a guy, I still like snow. How many of you like snow? Some of you do. How many of you like snow all the time? See, some of you do. And, and I would be one of those that would be perfectly okay with it. There's just something pure about snow. Yes, it's cold, but I love the cold and I don't have a problem with it. I would prefer cold over heat because I sweat all the time, even in the depths of winter. I'm hot all the time. My wife will tell you I'm hot too. Where'd she go? She left. Oh, well. Now let's get back on track, shall we? Um, what does it mean to have a childlike faith? So, uh, snow. As we grow, when we're kids, snow is this amazing wonderland of excitement. Yes, it's cold. And we, we, as kids, we're shivering, but we're okay to shiver in the midst of this wonderland of snow. We make snowmen out of it. We, we make snowballs out of it. We like to have these fights with snowballs. We build forts. You know, that kind of stuff. It, it means snow days if you're in school. Even in Kentucky, I used to wake up praying for snow days. And in Kentucky, they would shut down for anything. Here, you don't shut down for anything. <laughs> what the heck? The further north you go where there's more snow, I guess you guys have figured it out. But in Kentucky, when there was at least a little skiff of snow, we were done for the day. As we grow older, snow becomes a nuisance. It gets nasty on our cars. It rots out the bottom of our vehicles. Uh, it's cold, slippery, 
how many times have you fallen on the, on the ice, right? It's a funny sight to watch me fall. It's like a sonic boom, and you could feel the vibration from all around. No kidding. Don't laugh at that. Childlike wonder and faith. One of my favorite authors, and he didn't write too many books. He passed away a little bit earlier in life. His name is Mike Iaconelli. How many of you are familiar with Mike Iaconelli? Yes, you are, Valerie, because I had you read his book, Messy Spirituality. Yes. <laughs> I made you read it three times. It is a very uncouth book. Mike Iaconelli was uh, the guy who developed a youth curriculum. Uh, he was a youth specialties uh, creator. Are you familiar with youth specialties? Some of you may know. When I was a youth, youth specialties was a big deal. It was one of the publishing companies for youth uh, curriculum and products. Mike Iaconelli was one of, the, one of the creators and founders of that. Mike Iaconelli died probably in his mid to late 50s, but he wrote several books. One of his books that I would recommend to you, and again, understand they are very uncouth. He was a Christian pastor, very solid man of the faith, but his congregation, which was very small, probably he said 30 or 40 people, um, were not the typical congregants that you would have at a church. They were the ones, really, that would be the down and outers under the bridges downtown. They would be ones with very flowery language at times, standing up in the middle of service, giving testimonies, but not realizing that there's a certain decorum you're supposed to have in church. He wrote this book called Dangerous Wonder. It's a really short book. If you get a chance to look it up and read it, I, I think it's still in print. I don't know. But he gives this illustration of his little nephew who had never experienced snow before in his life. Listen to what he says. It was one of those snowfalls you never forget. Millions of white flakes filled the air, quieting the earth and swallowing the sounds. The resulting silence was thick, with a texture that you could feel. My nephew stood in the living room at the opening of our deck, a stranger to snow, his two years of life about to be altered irrevocably. His eyes were blank, unaware, his body clueless, his mind about to be overloaded with electricity of discovery. In the dark, because the sun hadn't come up at this point. Mother had maneuvered herself onto the deck just feet away from the door to be opened and two feet of snow on our deck to capture this moment on video. Dad, well, he manned the sliding door, which had to be unlatched for a quick opening into the darkness. Uncle's hands were poised on the switch to light the deck. And aunt, she was ready to lift her nephew into the mysterious new world of twinkling ice and frozen softness. Well, the moment arrived. In perfectly timed instant, the deck lights went on, the cameras started recording, the sliding door swept open, and a two-year-old was transported from the world that he knew into a world he had never seen before. Wonder. Wonder. 
filled the air. His eyes stretched wide with astonishment as though the only way to apprehend what he was seeing was for his eyes to become big enough to contain it all. He stood motionless, paralyzed. It was too much for a two-year-old, too much for any two-year-old. Too often when a person gets older, the person's too much detector malfunctions, corroded by busyness and technology. He twitched, he jerked, each time a snowflake landed on his face, feeling it tingle as it was transformed from hostile cold into friendly warmth, caressing his face with tiny droplets of water. And just behind his large eyes, you could see sparks flying from the cross currents of millions of electric stimuli, overwhelming the circuit breakers of his previously small world. His mind was a confusion of strange conflicting realities, white, cold, floating, flying, tingling, electric, landing, touching, sparkling, melting, causing an overload so great, so overwhelming that he fell backward, a slow motion landing into the billowy whiteness, the snow tenderly embracing him. He had given up trying to comprehend the snow And he'd given in to experiencing it. What's the difference? As you grow older, when's the last time, with your kids having been grown and gone, when's the last time those of you who are much older went outside, laid down in the snow, and made a snow angel? (laughs) When's the last time you made a snowball? And threw it at your spouse or threw it at your neighbor, whom you love. (laughs) Why is it when we get older, we get duller? Why is it when we get older, the wonder of life begins to ebb away? See, I think it's because as we learn and as we grow, a lot of the wonder is explained away by technicalities, isn't it? I mean, how is it that you can look at a snowflake and each one so unique and so different? How is it you could look at that and not be amazed in wonder that just like the fingerprint on your hand is unique to you, that each snowflake is very unique and different? And there are billions upon billions, trillions upon trillions across the globe. You see, I think Jesus had it right when he says, you must become like one of these little ones in order they enter the kingdom of heaven. They are somewhat untainted and untouched by the stubbornness of a fallen and broken world. Our key point this morning is this. Well, let me get you the scripture first. So you usually do the scripture, then the key point. The scripture is this, and it's really short this morning. It's from Matthew chapter 18. Why do I give you this sermon to close out the year? Because I've been convicted a lot lately. Um, As an adult myself in my mid-40s, I'll be honest, burnout is an ever-present reality. 
You ever experience burnout or fatigue or exhaustion? And I'm not just talking about physical exhaustion, but just going through the motions of doing and doing and doing all the time that you're like, what am I doing anything for anymore? You ever get that way? You ever feel that way? Guess what? Pastors feel that way too. And yes, sure, we preach the gospel. We are directly tuned in to God. Well, we struggle just like the rest of you. And we can oftentimes get lost in adulting as pastors as well that we miss the childlike wonder and faith that drew us into the ministry in the first place. We can get jaded by ministry. Yes, pastors can get jaded by ministry to say, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And no, I don't just work half a day a week. I know that's a joke that goes around. But the reality is, I eat, sleep, and breathe this. You don't take off your minister hat when you go home. The difficulty is, the enemy knows how to attack us on every front. He knows how to suck the wonder and joy out of life. Kids haven't learned that quite yet. Kids are resilient. They can rebound through a lot of different things, even very traumatic circumstances. Until they grow up and they learn that life truly does, in many regards, suck. Am I right? Let's be honest. Now, this is a very encouraging sermon I want to leave you with for the end of the year. No, I want you to get back to this place where life doesn't suck. And maybe some of you aren't there. Maybe some of you, no, life, life is great. I, and I praise God for that. You are where you need to be. But as I look at the newspaper, as I, well, I don't read, well, I read the Butler Eagle. I mean, it's a little microcosm right here. But I read news apps now, like the old man that used to sit in the lazy boy turning the pages of the paper. I read the news apps, you know, and I, I watch TV and I listen to the radio and it sucks the joy out of life. I like to stay up on what's going on in the world around me. And I don't know if any of you are like me, but it can get a little bit overwhelming at times. Can it? I'm tired. I'm guessing many of you were tired too. So how do we get back to that place where it's, where it's good, where it's wholesome, where, where there is a sense of wonder and anticipation and hope? In Matthew 18, again, this is one of those chapters that has a lot in it. I'm just going to take woo, a small section. I did not drink before I got on stage. Well, co- coffee. Yeah, I did. Matthew 18, it's the one where if a brother has something against you, you go to him. If they won't hear you, then you take another person. You know, are you familiar with that? If you're trying to reconcile with a brother or sister in Christ, it's that. It also has a couple parables in it. But this one, this starts out this whole chapter. Jesus, listen to this. About the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? (laughs) 
So Jesus had gotten his 12 followers. He had been doing ministry. And, and they had finally, uh, the newness of the relationship had worn off. They'd spent about three years together. At this point, they were about halfway through those three-year ministry travels and all of that. And, and Jesus' disciples had decided, to go to, had decided to go to Jesus and said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you think that they might have thought Jesus would have been? I mean, let's be, let's be honest. But they're asking the question. Why would they even ask a question? Because they wanted to know which one of them. Actually, some of the other gospel writers say, um, um, in different circumstances, uh, who can sit at your left hand? Since you're gonna, who can sit at the left hand of the Father? Because we know you're sitting at the right hand of the Father. Uh, we know James and John, their mom went and asked Jesus this. <laughs> can you imagine two adult men? Hey, mom, could you could you go talk to us for Jesus or talk to Jesus for us? Right? <laughs> Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, there's a difference between childlike faith and wonder and childishness. What you just heard from the disciples right there was a childish behavior, not a childlike wonder. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, as he always does, he doesn't say, well, I am. No, what he does is he unpacks that for them, and he, he gives them a little bit more to chew on for a little bit. What's he say to them? Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them, and then he said... I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. All right, let me read that again, because it's, I don't want you to skim over. You probably heard this before. I tell you the truth. What's he telling us? Okay, and is truth a lie? No, so we could say that for sure, this is true, Okay. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, who was the way, the truth, and the life? Unless you do what? Okay, well, what's sin? We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about hell or anything bad. We want to come to church and have everybody tickle our ears and make us feel good so that we can go to hell happy. <laughs> oh! I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> Someone who loves you is going to tell you the truth all the time. Jesus was that way. He didn't pull any punches. As a matter of fact, what you might consider a sucker punch is just the truth, bold face. Jesus says, unless you turn from your, what is sin? Sin is technical called missing the mark. Sin is anything that God says we should not do that we actually decide to do. Okay? Or something he tells us to do that we don't do. So basically sin is disobedience to God. Guess what? If you have unrepentant sin in your life, where are you not getting into? A couple of you believe that. This is not a great year-end sermon, is it? We're going to get there. Buckle up. It'll be fun. <laughs> Unless you turn from your sins, meaning, all right, I'm sinning. Woohoo! And you turn away from it, right? That's called repentance. Going this way 
headlong into sin and saying, nope, I'm not going there anymore. I'm going to go toward Christ. I'm going to go toward the truth. Unless you turn from that and you become like little children. So, okay, so I've got to turn from my sin and now, wait a minute. In order to get into the kingdom of heaven, I have to do what? Become like a little child. Now, remember, he put a visual in front of them. Because they were in a small community, wherever they were traveling at the time, I didn't really research that. I probably should to find out what town they were in. Regardless of what town, they, he took a child and he set them in the middle of the 12 of them. This child is on showcase. And he says, unless you turn from your sin and you become like one of these, become like this little child, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone, he goes on to say, who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom. So who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Someone who's repented of their sins, become like a child, and has humbled themselves enough to the point to where they're not walking around with a chip on their shoulder, they're not walking around with a mask on their face, perceiving, having others perceive them as something they're not. And here's the key point. Childlike wonder and faith are the means to true peace and freedom in Christ. Preached a whole year on peace during the middle of one of the most unpeaceful years on record in our lifetime. How do we... How do we get through COVID fatigue and, and election fatigue and political fatigue and any other kind of fatigue that is knocking on your door? I want to give you some keys to that. First off, we have to learn to be humble. And what's he say about a child? Unless you humble yourself like one of these little children... You can't be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Actually, he doesn't just say it's not about being great in the kingdom of heaven. It's about actually getting there. <laughs> I mean, if, see, it, there's other passages that says you're going to get there. Some people might get there by the skin of their teeth. Actually, it actually says with the smell of smoke singeing your backside. If you want to translate it from the Greek, that's pretty close, an accurate description of G, or Paul saying, some of you might get there just by the smoke licking on your backside, or the flames licking on your backside, leaving a trail of smoke. We must learn to be humble. All children are curious. They have this sense of curiosity. But you know one of the things that's cool about kids, and I've had four of my own, and, and they've, a couple of them are growing into adults now, and I got one that's in the mid-range of teenage years and one that's preteen. And it's been fun to watch their development through the years and, and to realize, oh my gosh, I went through a lot of that same stuff, and I was cantankerous like that. But to watch them like this nephew of Mike Iaconelli, just have this sense of wonderment and curiosity and to not realize that it's not okay to look dumb. Do you catch what I'm saying? See, when we become adults, we don't like to look dumb. We don't like, if we're in conversation with somebody and they're telling us about something that we have no clue about, 
a vast majority of us will go, oh, oh, yeah, mmm, oh, yeah. Like, we know what they're talking about. And we're like, hey, I'm not clear what they're talking about. Kids will go, huh? What are you talking about? I don't get it. They're not afraid to look stupid. Adults are. Unless you come to the point where you're not afraid to look stupid, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a tough one to chew on, isn't it? You probably disagree. Some of you may disagree with me on this, but think about it. It's not being naive or gullible. It's about being innocent and humble. Do you catch that? Naive or gullible, no way. Innocent and humble. Transparent. Willing to say, I don't understand. When you don't understand something. And not being a know-it-all when you do know something. It's about being humble. Walking this road of life in this broken and fallen world as a child looking to Christ, the maker and creator of heaven and earth, to be your all in all. It's about being humble. It's not, it's not about walking around with a facade. I, I'm going to tell this, and I probably shouldn't. Yes, I should. Raylan. A few years ago. She's not in here, so I can throw her under the bus right now. My 10-year-old, she was probably about four or five at the time. And we go to Mizantes to eat ice cream whenever it's in season because we like Mizantes. We're just down the road here. Shameless plug for them. Anywho, we're out there. It's a busy evening, and there are people coming and going. <laughs> I love this. And she has no clue in the world about anything or any concept of how loud she is when she talks. But there's a heavier set guy who has a big chest. And she goes, that guy has girl boobs? <laughs> I'm not saying that's okay. But the innocence of Raylan was so raw that what's on her mind just came right out. She had no filter, no nothing. It wasn't even a thought that what she was saying was wrong or insulting or anything like that. And I'm not saying you should go around saying that, but there's something in the midst of that moment that reminded me she's not jaded by the world and all of the stuff that comes with it. Her honest sincerity and her wonderment of a guy's boobs just just totally took her off guard. Sorry. Some of you think that's very tacky. You probably won't ever come back again, and I apologize. Paul reminds us this. Listen, let's get back on a serious note. That in order, in order for us to be Christ-like, we have to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Paul says in Philippians 2, don't be selfish. Kids can be selfish. I've seen them beat each other over the head with a toy they wanted. So I'm not saying don't be childish, be childlike. So don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. 
Don't look only to your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And this is where he gets to brass tacks. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality, but God is something to cling to. And I've said this, and when I've taught before, you've probably heard me preach it from the stage on this specific passage. Though he was God, remember we just came through uh, the season of Christmas, and, and Isaiah says that he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to hang on to or cling to. What does that mean? So he could have, in all truth and in all authority, walked around saying, yo, I'm God. He could have walked around with a chip on his shoulder. And he would have been okay to do that. He was a person with no sin, no, no bad thing ever in his life. He could have walked around saying, I'm God, follow me. But one of the cool things about who he was was that he didn't go to those who supposedly had the degrees in him. Do you catch that? Those that had gone to school to study and become professional God people, like pastors. Who did he go to? The least of these. Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, the lepers to the leper colonies. We're afraid of coughing on one another and this dude would go into a colony of lepers that were cast out and not allowed to be touched. I'm not saying you should go around coughing on each other. Please don't misunderstand me. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, what does he do? He gave up his divine privileges. If he, if he came from heaven to the earth, do you think that was a downgrade or an upgrade? <laughs> but let's be honest. It was pretty much a downgrade. He came from heaven to the earth. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. As a matter of fact, not just any kind of human being, but what kind? A child. How cool is that? But he maintained this childlike quality throughout his whole existence on earth as a human. When he appeared in human form, Paul says, he humbled himself to obedience to God. But wait a minute, he was God. Uh-huh. And he humbled himself in obedience to who he was. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. So that's the kind of attitude we're supposed to have. Seems impossible, doesn't it? What do we talk about on Christmas Eve? What seems impossible to the world truly is possible with God. And so if you have Christ in your life and you're able to strip off all of the garbage that you've collected in this world, 
Not only are you able to see him for who he is, he sees you as one he loves, and you were able to emulate that kind of love and forgiveness and grace to the rest of the world, and that childlike faith and wonder can start to arise again in your life. One of the other things about a kid is they have to learn to be dependent. Actually, they grow up, they, they, they are born dependent. This, this sounds counterintuitive. Now, I want you to stick with me on this because you're probably going to push back on me. We have to learn to be dependent. But everything in our culture tells us that we have to be independent. And yes, there's a, there's a certain level of independence you should have, right? It actually says in the Bible, if you are capable and able to work, then get your butt out and work or you don't eat, right? Okay, so let's set that ground level. Now, with that in mind... We also have to learn to be dependent because I have met so many stubborn, hard-headed people that are so independent, they only rely on themselves and they trust no one. Maybe you're one of those. Oh, I don't trust anybody. You gotta earn my trust. But see, in the kingdom of God, it is so different. Trust isn't earned, it's given until it's destroyed. I've tried to live by that. And maybe I've been naive at times and I've had people say, what, what are you doing? You're going to get duped. And yes, it's easy to become jaded when you've been duped several times and you, you, you learn to kind of put a stiff arm to most people because, well, all they want is this or that or they don't really... They have ulterior motives, right? And when we, when we become adults, we thrive on this sense of independence that I can do it on my own, pull myself up by my own bootstraps. But in God's kingdom, it's different. See, we rely on each other. What I see in that passage I just read to you from Philippians chapter 2, if we have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had, what does it say? Don't be selfish, right? Independence carried to an extreme becomes selfishness. Don't try to impress others. Why would I even try to do that? Because I don't want people to look down on me. I'm insecure. I'm worried that, that, that people might think less of me. You know, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, he was born as a baby. In what kind of home did he grow up in? A carpenter's home. In that day and age, it wasn't really even a middle-income family. That would have been the lower, one of the lower rungs. I mean, yeah, it would have been better than a shepherd. Shepherds were the lowest rung. But paycheck to paycheck... God in the flesh associated himself in a way and in a community with people that even the religious leaders didn't even want to hang around. People who were truly dependent upon the community around them, their neighbors, their family, their friends. They hadn't opportunities like the upper crust or even the religious leaders of their day that were esteemed highly in the community. 
Jesus went to those who couldn't do much for themselves, legitimately could not do much for themselves, that the rest of society said, why would you even go to those people? And he showed them a different way. He showed them a love that was necessarily good and wholesome that brought them out of where they were and hopefully into something better. I've said this before. um, In water safety courses, um, if you're training to be a lifeguard, they tell you not to swim out to somebody who's flailing. Did you know that? If somebody's drowning, but they're flailing, you stay just close enough to get them if you can, but you wait until they stop flailing. Why? Because if you swim in to while they're doing all of this stuff, they're going to take you down with them, right? You wait until they finally give up, till they finally said, well, I'm a goner, and they start, and then you reach in and you grab them. Why? Because until they're willing to let go and to give up, they can't be rescued. I've ministered now for many, many years as a pastor, and I have tried to preach the gospel, teach the gospel, reach others with the gospel so that they could be saved. And I see so many people out there flailing like this, and I can't get within reach. And it kills me. I want to be able to reach in and say, no, 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 let me help. And they're still fighting. You see, in order to get into the kingdom of God, you can't get in on your own merit. You have to give up yourself. Luke chapter 9, if any of you, Jesus says, any of you wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. Wow, that is not a great marketing tool. Again, I've said that time and time again. Jesus didn't give great flashy slogans to get into Christianity. You have to die to yourself in order to live for me. But I'm telling you, if you do that, Jesus says, you'll receive eternal life. The last thing is, again, we must learn to trust. We must learn to trust. As adults, we become so skeptical. We become skeptical. We become jaded. In in essence, we oftentimes train ourselves to look at everybody and everything like this. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? A good illustration of this is a story about a 63-year-old man in London, England in 1994 who decided to perform bladder surgery on himself because of his lack of trust in doctors and hospitals. Tragically, he got an infection from the self-surgery and he later died. And the coroner said this, unfortunately, his drastic remedy went wrong. A simple operation would have solved his problem. When we fail to trust, we're no better off than the man who tried to do surgery on himself. Do you catch this? When we 
failed to trust, we're no better off than the one who did surgery on himself. But we can never fully eradicate. But we can never fully eradicate the problem that exists until we're ready to say, "All right, whatever. I, I need help." In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must trust God to fix things in our lives that we cannot fix ourselves. We must trust that he is in control and that he knows what's best. We must know that he is constantly working even when things seem completely hopeless and out of whack in the world around us or even in our lives. And we can trust God because we have this promise. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his good purpose for him. Now, a lot of people say, God works all things together for good, right? But they leave it there. But that's not what Paul says. It's like taking a letter that somebody's written you and only reading a couple sentences and saying, well, there, I got it on. No, he says, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his good purpose for them. Whose purpose for them? His, not yours, not your churches, not your spouses, not your kids, not your bosses, but his. But I like the purpose I have for myself. Well, get over yourself, right? William Barclay says that the child's humility is the pattern of the Christian's behavior to his fellow men, and the child's dependence and trust are the pattern of the Christian's attitude toward God, the Father of all. As adults, we need to learn once again to find that childlike wonder and faith that we once had. And if you've never had it, you need to experience it. As our worship team comes forward to kind of close us out today, there's a, there's a passage of scripture from Psalm 51 that I, I pray every Sunday morning as I'm standing down here before I get up to take the stage to preach the word. And it's David. David has been now confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba. He'd committed adultery with her. She'd become pregnant. He sent her husband Uriah to the front lines of battle and made sure that he was killed. After he was found out and, yes, confessed that he was wrong, he wrote a psalm of repentance. And he says this, Create within me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Oh, don't cast me away from your presence, O oh Lord. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. David, a man after God's own heart, was not perfect, but rather a royal mess. But he realized how far he had gone from God and the mess he'd made of things in life. But he also realized that God is merciful and forgiving and loving and good. And he also realized that he needed the joy of salvation once again in his life. 
And so he's pleading to God, please forgive me. I need you. I can't do this without you. Do you know David's life after Bathsheba didn't go well? It was a mess. Even when he repented, it didn't get better. But he was right with God, and that's all that mattered. See, sometimes we may have to live with the messes we make and the consequences of the result of the sin in our life that we have repented of, but it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Have you heard the term, you made your bed, now you got to lie in it? You see, God gives you a different bed, but the difference is he's not going to change the outcome of certain events because sometimes you have to walk through the muck of your own making. But one of the amazing things is instead of walking through that muck alone, (laughs) he comes right alongside you and he says, okay, we'll walk this together. You don't have to do this alone because you've depended on me. You've trusted in me. I'll go through this muck with you. Here's my, my call for you today. Can you come to the place of repentance before you get into a new year? God is a God who delivers. And I'm not talking about pizza. He delivers salvation. He delivers you from the mess you're in. Don't let your pride hold you back from this. This is a world of dangerous wonder, as Mike Iaconelli calls it. It's a real place. It's a place like Narnia in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Aslan comes back to life after the white witch has slayed him on that altar and he's resurrected to new life. Listen to what happens. Lucy and the children's eyes are wide open with astonishment to recognize him once again. And then Aslan says, and now, oh yes, now, said Lucy, jumping up, clapping her hands. Old children, says the lion, I feel my strength coming back to me. Old children, catch me if you can. He stood for a second, his eyes very bright, his limbs quivering, lashing himself with his tail. He made a leap high over the heads of the kids and he landed on the other side of the table laughing. Though she didn't know why, Lucy scrambled over to reach him and he leapt again. And this wild chase began. Round and round the hilltop he led them, now hopelessly out of their reach, now letting them almost catch his tail, now diving between them, tossing them in the air with his huge, beautiful, velveted paws and catching them again and now stopping unexpectedly so that all three of them rolled over in a laughing heap of fur and arms and legs. It was such a romp that no one has ever seen it except in Narnia. And whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or playing with a kitten, Lucy could never make up her mind. And the funny thing was that when all three finally lay together, panting in the sun, the girls no longer felt the least tired 
hungry or thirsty. He is the living water. When you drink from that fountain of Christ, you'll never be thirsty again. I'm going to beg you today, and I'm not too shameful to beg. I know some of you are in a mess. And yes, it's a mess of your own making. Some of you were in a mess, not even of your own making. But I promise you, God loves you. Are you willing to humble yourself? To be dependent on him? To trust in him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? Are you willing to acknowledge him in all your ways? This altar to my right has been here since the mid-80s. So is the one to my left. They've been knelt on by many a people through the years. There have been many burdens lifted and left. There have been many lives crucified to their selfish desires here and left to start a new life of faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe you're like David. You had once walked with God, but now you're at this place where you're like, I've drifted. Maybe you need to pray that prayer like he did. Create within me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Please come and pray. We will have people pray with you to my right, your left. If you just want to come and reckon with God on your own, you come to my left, your right. But I'm asking you with all the sincerity I have within me, don't leave with a mask of pride on saying you could figure this out on your own. Father, in this place, <laughs> may you be glorified. May you be honored. God, bring us back to a place of childlike wonder. I pray that you take all the heavy burdens off of us. Free us. Help us to be okay with looking stupid in front of everybody else. Because the only one that matters is you. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purify us from the inside out. And I know, I know you don't force yourself into this relationship with us. It requires us to be open to that. And God, I pray everybody in this place today would be open to that. No matter what's going on in the world, we know that we could be right with you if we are just completely surrendered. Lord, even me right now, I don't care to look like a fool for you. I don't care if people laugh or mock or jeer. All I care about is pleasing you. Have your way in this place, O oh Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. 
Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Maine is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.